Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And I want to invite you to our special series of Money Sense, specifically dedicated to help take the fear out of the what's next, given our current environment. The influence of a global pandemic on our economy has caused many to feel paralyzed through the fear of the unknown. During this series, we will interview a futurist, economist, physician, psychologist, and local Milwaukee business owners and leaders to get their perspective on the what's next and how to apply their insight to your financial future. Shows will be aired on WISN AM 11:30 during our regular Money Sense times, which are Saturdays at 2 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at noon. They will also be available on demand at ellenbecker.com/moneysense or on Stitcher. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We hope you will find these informational and that we hope that you will share them with your family and your friends. My guest today is Mike Roth, and welcome to the show, Mike. Oh, thank you, Karen. Always good to be here. Well, Mike, you have been on for, let's see now, 18 plus years. <laughs> and uh, Mike is the founding principal of Stark Investments right here in Milwaukee. And you know, Mike, um, You've gone through the ups and the downs of the markets for far longer than just being on the radio show 18 years. But what I started to recognize, and I saw it in my own community, I saw it going to the grocery store, that people were no longer, you know, smiling. They weren't friendly. They, and even walking in my community in the very beginning, everybody was, hi, how are you doing? And keeping our social distances. And now all of a sudden, people are just looking down at the ground. They're not smiling. And I recognize that there was so much fear creeping into people's lives. And as I myself watched the TV and watched them talking about finances and what was going on, that they were just giving enough information to people to scare the dickens out of them. And so I recognize that here I've got this wonderful radio show that I've been doing for almost 30 years. And it gives us an opportunity for almost an hour to talk about a subject where I'm hoping it will take the fear out of people's lives and they can more identify with some of the issues that are going on and how they might affect them. So Mike, as always, you do such a phenomenal job of talking to people in a way that they can hear. I am just gonna pretty much turn the show over to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, this is a setup if I've ever seen one. Um, well, well, thank you, Karen. Um, uh, Obviously, uh, everything you just said is true. I, I think that this has been a very grinding experience for people. It is outside of the experience of, of most living people right now uh, who have not had to go through anything like this. Um, uh, and as a result, uh, you get through multiple stages of trying to deal with it. And I think right now, it's looking like this is not gonna uh, pass quickly certainly not as quickly as people had hoped. And so I think the initial sort of um, enthusiasm that we're going to get through this is, is being replaced by the realization that this is going to take some time and that the life that we have uh, known as we've known it won't come back uh, perhaps for some time. Uh, so how do you apply all of this? Obviously, um, we're talking because of my experience in the markets and um, observing the economy. And the question is for your uh, clients and for the audience, well, what does this mean for someone who's looking at the markets, trying to figure out how to invest? 
uh, what to do in this situation. And uh, I guess the, the first um, uh, caveat is to say, this is new for everyone. Any, anybody who's trying to apply past experience to this does so at their peril. Uh, because this is this is new. This is this is not the type of uh, economic uh, crash that we've seen before. Because it's unprecedented in terms of its speed, and uh, in some ways, in terms of the severity of it. Um, and as a result, it's everyone feeling out what does this mean. Um, and if you're trying to apply the lessons of the 1929 depression or any other bear market you've ever seen before. Uh, first of all, this is unlike any of those in terms of the catalyst. And secondly, it's just a different world. Um, the markets operate differently, government operates differently, the banks operate differently. So it's very difficult to apply prior lessons to what we're seeing now. So I think if I were to just jump to uh, the chase, so to speak, and say, <laughs> well, what, what's really going on right now? I'm seeing the market all over the place. Uh, obviously, and, and for a lot of your um, uh, listeners, you know, I, I've, I've been looking at my 401k and it looks like I might now have to work until I'm 100 in order, in order <laughs> to recover uh, what I've lost. Uh, and then it bounced off the lows. Hurrah, uh, seems to be coming back. But every day the market's bouncing around and it's bouncing around with big moves, uh, big percentage moves. Uh, on, on net, uh, the moves have been upward over the last several weeks. There was a turn in sentiment, I would say right around the time that the government began rolling out its program. So you had the Fed, you had uh, Congress and, and the president rolling out a series of both monetary and fiscal stimuli all designed to essentially bridge what we're going through right now. So stepping back from that, here's what's really going on. There's a huge tug of war going on uh, between sort of the bull case and the bear case, you might say. And uh, in, in cartoon terms, it would be the, the devil on my left shoulder and the angel on my right shoulder. <laughs> so uh, the, the devil is saying essentially uh, the worst is over. Uh, you might say, uh, ignore all the bad news, ignore the um, uh, uh, economy uh, cratering. <laughs> um, the worst is over. Uh, if you look at the data, um, the uh, data from other countries, uh, it's not that the cases aren't increasing, but it's, it's really the key of the rate of increase. The rate of increase is slowing down. And that is the first telltale sign that things are getting better. Uh, so it's not like you're going to zero cases or zero deaths, but it's just slowing down. It's rolling over. Um, and uh, you're seeing that in uh, the US, you're seeing it in New York. Um, Governor Cuomo came out and said, I think the worst is over for New York. Doesn't mean it's not gonna uh, still increase in terms of number of cases. And it doesn't mean that there aren't gonna be any more deaths. Uh, but it seems like, again, the worst is behind us. Um, and in total, when you look at the number of cases, uh, and it's not just the fact that there's, you, you see these numbers in a cumulative fashion, um, uh, which is not the right way to look at it. It's not, who cares how many cases we have behind us, it's the cases that we are currently seeing. So again, it's this rate of change that is most important. And the number of deaths um, have been far lower 
than what some of the uh, uh, models were telling us. So to the extent that it seems only a week or so ago, we were hearing that there could be 100 or 200,000 deaths here in the United States, and the number is much, much lower than that. So that's all good news, and, and so part of the bull story is to focus on, on those facts and to say it really looks like uh, you know, things are going to get better and that we can quit panicking over what's going on here. Uh, whether it's due to social distancing or whether it's due to herd immu immunity because enough people have started to get it and now have the antibodies and don't have to worry about it, um, we're just looking at the numbers and that's all good. In addition, so if you wanna, you wanna think of the market now with its tendency to look forward, markets will note, okay, we, we just had bad numbers last quarter or whatever happened, but the market really likes looking forward and, and uh, it'll look through a lot of bad things to a brighter future. So as they, as they look at the data, they say data's trending in the right direction. So the trend is my friend here. In addition, uh, look at, look at uh, on the vaccine scene. Um, there are 70 plus efforts underway right now by the creme de la creme of the medical community to develop some sort of vaccine, tests, um, uh, ways to alleviate symptoms, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and in fact, as we speak this morning, uh, overnight, uh, there was news that uh, there's a very promising uh, antiviral that's been developed uh, by a group in Chicago, <clears throat> and that has caused the market to rocket up. So the uh, doctors involved in that particular trial were quick to point out that uh, you don't want to get too carried away because it wasn't a super rigorous trial. They don't really have time to do that now. Obviously, they're, they're doing this very much on the fly, but it was, it was promising. And you had people who had had the virus uh, who, uh, after uh, receiving the drug, were able to um, get up, leave the hospital, much, uh, much better symptoms. Uh, so that's, that's another piece of the bull case that, boy, you're going to have some sort of vaccine and it's coming and that's all we need in order to, to go from there. So maybe I should take a breath. <laughs> See, if, if anything, you have any questions about uh, part one of the bull case? You know, Mike, one of the things that we're gonna take a break right now, and I was watching the TV this morning and they talked about um, the meatpacking companies and how they've been infected and they're anticipating that there could we have this potential of a, of a shortage of meat because so many people are sick, they shut packing down. And even for the, I think it was the chicken, they didn't have enough people that could actually take care of the chicks. I mean, it was, you know, this domino effect. I also, they talked about oil prices and we've never been in a situation where the entire world is being affected. So when we come back from our break, could you kind of break that down a little bit? We've got, we've got three more segments. So we've got the prices and people not, not understanding what they should be doing and the craziness about the toilet paper shortage, <laughs> <and the laughs> not toilet paper. Um, so, yeah. you know, this mentality, and can you talk a, a little bit about how that might unfold? And um, Wendy, we'll take a break now and, uh, with that, my guest today is Mike, Mike Roth, and he is the founding principal of Stark Investments, which is located right in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. With that, we'll be back. 
Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We have started a, a brand new series here, inviting in different um, guests from Milwaukee and around the world, actually, to identify some of the situations um, that are associated with the virus. And today we have Mike Woff, who is the founding principal of Stark Investments. And Mike, before we took the break, I talked about some of the things that I myself had heard on TV, the closing of the meatpacking firms, oil prices, the whole world is being affected with this virus. I feel like I've been dropped into a sci-fi movie in some <laughs> cases. So Mike, I'm just gonna let you again, pick at some of these um, issues that I've raised. Sure. Um, well, bef before you've raised um, part of the bear case, so to speak, the the mm -hmm. um, the debate between whether the glass is half full or half empty at this point. But before we jump to that, let me let me highlight a couple of other points that the bulls are making. So so this would be the optimistic case: why you should be buying uh, stocks, why you should be investing your money, and why you should be relaxing about the situation. So. We've touched on the fact that uh, a lot of people are pointing at the data and how the health data seems to be improving. It looks like we're on the cusp of uh, having some sort of vaccine. So this is reason for optimism. Other big factor is the stimulus that has been applied to the system. So recognizing what you just pointed out, this is a global economic collapse. You have central banks, including the Federal Reserve, pulling out all the stops in, and, and in coordination with the governments, and, and you just look at what's going on here in the United States, the fiscal stimulus that's being applied. So we're talking about trillions of dollars of money getting pumped into the economy by the federal government, trillions of dollars being pumped into the economy by the Federal Reserve through various programs. And then of course, interest rates are now zero. So they're not holding back, they're, they're recognizing the severity of the situation. And this is one of those things where you want to throw everything you have at it because if it starts to slip away, it could turn into a uh, self-reinforcing uh, um, uh, downward spiral, which is something they want to avoid at all costs. So the feeling is right now, don't, we're not going to sit here and debate whether or not uh, long term it's a good idea to pile on all this additional debt and all these additional um, uh, burdens on us. We are just going to make sure that we survive this and bridge this period because we know that once we, we get past this, uh, we can get the economy restarted and the engine will then become a self-reinforcing upward spiral. So that's the whole idea. So again, you have, uh, I can't um, sort of overemphasize how unprecedented the stimulus that's been applied to the system. And, and zero interest rates and the Fed buying all kinds of different assets and all of these government programs, we really haven't seen the full effect of them yet. It takes months for this stuff to filter. So even something as simple as the, uh, the checks being sent to, to, to people. So part, one of the programs, as we know, is to put money into people's hands by just sending them, them checks. Well, that takes a while. You just don't do that overnight. To get that bureaucracy cranked up takes some time. So there's a huge amount of juice in the system that hasn't really even hit the system yet. Uh, so, so that's another reason for the bull case, the reason for optimism. Boy, uh, not only uh, are the health statistics turning our way, but boy, the system is just primed with all this kindling to just take off 
uh, once uh, we uh, reopen the economy and get going. So, which of course leads us to the next point, which is just in the last week or so, the whole narrative has started to shift a little bit. Um, less sort of sensationalistic doom and gloom and more of a discussion around reopenings. So you have countries in Europe, um, Austria, Switzerland, Germany, uh, among others, that are now talking about uh, a staged reopening. Uh, President Trump has been, I think, just chomping at the bit to begin doing a staged reopening, recognizing that the uh, impact of this has, has not been evenly distributed. We've had hot spots, uh, particularly areas where you have dense populations, uh, particularly of people at risk, people who are of uh, older age, people who have respiratory issues, et cetera. So New York City, because of its density, has been an issue. Um, a few other areas around the country. But then there are vast parts of the country where it's been essentially incredibly light. Um, very, very few deaths, very few cases, relatively speaking. So uh, this talk about reopenings, and if you just read, saw the news in the last uh, 24 hours, you know, Wisconsin has been talking about uh, when it's going to start to think about reopening. Uh, and it's going to be in, in stages. And it's going to be dependent upon a number of different factors. How much testing can we do? What is the quality of that testing? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that, though, has now been put into the uh, bull case category. Okay, now we're, we're actually thinking about steady, starting the economy up again. Um, and once that happens, here we go. And, and there's, there's been, I think, this underlying faith that this isn't like 1929, and this isn't like 2008. It's not a financial crisis. This is a self-inflicted thing where we turned off the economy and now we need to turn on the economy. Uh, and, and we can do that. So that's, that's sort of an underlying faith behind the bull case. Uh, they would also point out there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. Uh, there are a lot of people who, are, who are, would like to be buyers. And so as uh, this evidence of uh, sort of recovery begins accumulating, you're going to see more and more of that cash being deployed into the market. And then finally, there's just uh, the final sort of uh, point in the uh, bull case is the good old animal spirits, uh, which is a uh, funny euphemism that you hear on Wall Street all the time. It's sort of a, a catch-all uh, explanation for when people are just uh, buying. And, and uh, I guess it's a better euphemism than calling it pure greed, because as we know, the markets are, if anything, a behavioral exercise. And you see people uh, vacillating between greed and fear. And so when the market was plunging uh, a few weeks ago, that was fear. And, and people didn't know where this was going. And uh, you know, the, the, the news media was uh, essentially pawning us with, this is horrific. And so that fear led to a huge amount of selling. Uh, but as the fear recedes and you start getting these positive data points, which I've just gone through, and you see greed starting to come back. And, and so the animal spirits are <laughs> definitely out there. And so as a result, although there's been volatility, net-net, it's been upward. You've seen um, sort of a three steps forward, one step back kind of pattern in the markets uh, based upon what they view as these positive points. So, so that's, that's the bull case. Um, and um, I'll, I'll stop there, see if you have any questions about it, because I want to flip over to the other side of the debate.
which is uh, the too much, too fast uh, point of view and all the sort of support points for that. You know, Mike, you have mentioned a couple of times that it, it is a good time if you have cash on, on hand and if you have a little bit longer perspective, it is a good time for people to consider putting that money into the market. Well, exactly. And after I lay out the, the other side of the debate, the Baird case, then what will settle on, you know, when, when you have both of these in hand, okay, here are the plus points, here are the minus points, uh, what should you be doing? And I think the point you just made is going to be key. Depending upon your investment um, time horizon and your perspective, um, you can make the argument that even if things have gotten ahead of themselves, uh, you should be channeling your inner uh, Warren Buffett and be thinking about long-term investing. And, you know, one of the things, Mike, that we've always done is, is, and Julie always likes to say, nobody wants to go to the store and buy stale bread on sale. You <laughs> want to buy your favorite things on sale. And, you know, we're always looking for those high quality investments that are also off in the market and investing in those over the long term. Correct. So let's take a break um, and let's come back and look at the other side of the, um, the bear market complements the bull market, and uh, that'll help us to make some determinations. So we'll take a break. My guest today is Mike Roth. He is the founding principal of Stark Investments, which is located here right in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Mike Roth, and he has been a guest on this show for 19 years. He is the founding principal of Stark Investments and has gone through those up markets and down markets. And of course, now we're in this pandemic, which is a market that nobody has ever experienced before. And I am just thrilled to be able to say that we, I have hosted this show for almost 30 years and having the privilege of bringing to you a new series that we're doing. And Mike is um, our second guest and we're just thrilled about it. And as I told you, Mike, during the break, you have just this natural ability to talk about what's going on in the world and what's going on in the market in a way that my listeners can actually hear you. So I'm thrilled that you're here. And I know that you're going to be talking about the other side, the, the bear market now. <laughs> well, thank you, Karen. That's very kind of you. Um, well, to the extent people are confused, and I just laid out you know, one set of uh, talking points that you're probably hearing from very qualified expert people. So the, the bullish analysts and, and the bullish people you might see on CNBC or, or some other news outlet, these are the points that they're highlighting. And, and this is their case for why you should be diving in and why the market is doing what it's doing. Uh, but there's another side of it. And, and there are equally qualified, very smart people who would say, hold on, hold on. I, I think that this rally has been uh, just stunning in its speed and, and uh, how, how quickly it's come back. Um, uh, often referred to as a bear market rally because we've seen, even in the Great Depression, there were periods of times when the market rallied and the depression was nowhere near being over. So they said, they say essentially, this is just too much too fast. The data does not support this. And what they would point to is to say that well, first of all, we are, as you pointed out earlier, Karen, this is a global catastrophe for every economy on the planet. Uh, China last night came out with its GDP numbers, 
Uh, and for the first time since they began recording this information in 1992, uh, not only did they have a down quarter, uh, it was down uh, almost 7%, which is a huge downturn for China. And given how China tends to sometimes not have the most accurate numbers, our guess is, is that it was much worse even than that. Uh, so that is a, a data point, one data point, but a very significant one because obviously China was the uh, origin point for this entire pandemic. And um, as a result, uh, they've been uh, ahead of the curve in terms of their experience and the experience of their economy. So if they're cratering so badly, you, you sort of get an indicator of where the rest of the economies are going. Um, and if you just look at the U.S. data over the last week or so, you name it, retail data, terrible. Unemployment, we've had something like 22 million new unemployed people in the last four weeks. Uh, you look at industrial production, terrible. And uh, it's not going to get better anytime soon. And it's, it, it's not a surprise to anyone. So no one was shocked uh, or should not have been shocked at these numbers because the economy's been turned off. People are sheltering in place. And, it's, and while it's not completely at a standstill, obviously um, there are things like, oh, toilet paper <laughs> and other necessities which are doing well. Um, there are big parts of the economy, um, obviously travel or hospitality or airlines that are just at, at a total standstill. And so as a result, the uh, economic numbers are, as I said, terrible. And you saw the market take a step back this week from its uh, enthusiasm when confronted, uh, you might say smacked in the face with this data. It's like, wow, I, I know it's bad, but you actually see the numbers, it's bad. Uh, in addition, we're uh, starting the uh, earnings uh, season, so-called earnings season. So you have companies now uh, holding uh, press conferences and, and conferences with analysts uh, talking about uh, how they've been affected by this and what their earnings uh, look like. And they're terrible too. Again, no surprise. Uh, everyone expects uh, it to be terrible. It's going to vary depending upon which kind of company you are. So somebody like Procter & Gamble, which makes a lot of essentials, is doing well. And you know, you're seeing the banks, you're seeing um, other companies, construction companies. I, they're just getting... Uh, uh, Hammered. <laughs> Hammered's the right word. I should have gone for the H word. You're right. Uh, so, um, when you think about stocks, I, I know maybe um, amateur investors don't think this way, but stocks essentially represent future earnings. So when you're, you're buying stocks, the price you're paying is some multiple of future earnings. Uh, and so as a result, if you think there aren't going to be any future earnings, or if you think they're going to be significantly curtailed going forward, then in theory, you should be willing to pay less, much less. Uh, for those future earnings, because there's just not going to be as much of it. Um, now, the bears would say, as a result, this makes no sense. You shouldn't be uh, paying uh, multiples, and this is the way the, the, the uh, market thinks of it. So for a given earning in 2021, or even this year, 2020, you shouldn't be paying multiples around 16 or 17 or 20 times uh, which is implied when the market goes rocketing up. In other words, stocks should be much lower given what the earnings are. And uh, 
that's that's part of the bear case to say this this is insane to be paying prices way up here when there aren't going to be any earnings and and then there's a huge debate over well when are we going to see earnings um some analysts think this we're not going to see earnings at the 2019 level until 2022. it's going to take that long for things to bounce back and for companies to spool up and begin producing the kind of earnings that we saw even last year in 2019, let alone what we thought we were going to be seeing for the next couple of years. So, so that's a big part of the bear case. Um, they would say that all these economic programs are great. Um, it's certainly better than having things spiral down out of control. But at the end of the day, the Fed and the, and the government can only do so much. They can bridge us. They can temporarily support the economy, um, but they can't really, over any long period of time, produce earnings and produce the kind of uh, economic numbers that we would like to see. Um, and what they would point to, I think, most of all, apart from perhaps the terrible economic numbers, is just the uncertainty going forward. You think you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Well, I'm here to tell you that uh, I have no feeling for what is going to be the pace of reopenings? Is it really next month? Um, is, it going to, is it going to take three, four, five months? And what's the breadth of the reopenings? Okay, um, here in Wisconsin, we finally decided people can go golf as long as they <laughs> stay away from each other. <laughs> Great. Um, but uh, you know, what does that mean next month? So next month, do we allow certain people to go back? Do we allow it only if they've been tested? A lot of people are leaning on this testing thing, but you know, I'm not sure that's really um, uh, a good idea because we already know that there are issues with the testing, issues with the accuracy, um, issues with just, are we gonna try to test everybody? Does that mean 300 million tests? And this other point, which has always puzzled me is, okay, I test today and the test shows I'm clean. And then tomorrow, I get infected. So the test was almost useless uh, because it's just a snapshot in time. So there's that issue. Uh, can we really depend upon the testing to determine who should go back to work? Um, and then even if employment starts to ramp up again and people start getting called back to work, there's been permanent damage. And the longer it takes to restart, the more permanent damage there is. So some companies and some businesses just aren't coming back at all, or they're gonna come back in a smaller form or maybe some different form. So it doesn't mean employment is necessarily gonna go back to exactly where it was. Um, and um, uh, uh, there's the other big point, which I'll, I'll wait because I know we're about to have a break, is the second wave. And the big concern is, is that we restart too soon and then we have to go through the whole experience again. Wow, that is uh, daunting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is daunting at best. You know, Mike, we've got one more segment left, and I know that there's a few things you want to cover, but I've had a lot of a lot of clients call and say, should I be selling out everything I have and buying gold? Scary thought. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just touch on a little bit of that, and we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Michael Roth, and he is the founding principal of Stark Investments, which is right here in Milwaukee. Mike has been in the investment community for how many years, Mike? 
26 years. 26 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we've been very blessed to have Mike as a guest on our show since 2002. And so, Mike, I'm just going to thank you um, again, because as I said, you always have a way of making sense of all this craziness that's going on. And I know during the break, we talked a little bit about some of the things that our clients are asking us. And one of them is, you know, that, that um, panic mode where people say, should I be selling? Should I be buying? And we talked a little bit about that. So I'm hoping you can kind of bring out your crystal ball at the end of the show and give us an idea of maybe what we might want to be considering. <laughs> well, I'll do my best um, because um, as I said, this is uh, an unprecedented situation. And so in many ways, as much as people like to think they can take past experiences and that's a, a guide to what's going forward, this time is very hard because I don't think we've ever had anything quite like this. We've never seen the economy crater with this kind of speed. And the question is, can it come back with equal speed? Um, we've, never, we've, get, never seen, we've never seen anyone pull a switch and everything just stops. Well, exactly. I mean, this is self-inflicted, you might say. And yes. um, I, I, I believe that the historians will look back and there will be an interesting debate over whether or not this was the right approach. Uh, because even now, I think people have second guessed to say, would it have been better to have tried to devote all these resources to protecting the vulnerable as opposed to trying to turn everything off? Um, so that's, that's a debate for future historians. Um, I want to give the bears their due. So I, I did allude to uh, another big point. And this is a very important one uh, that the bears would cite in, in, in their case, which is the so-called second wave. So the fear is, is that um, we're getting uh, way ahead of ourselves in terms of declaring victory. Yes, the numbers are, are turning our way. And yes, it looks like we're on the cusp of some kind of vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. But the fear is, is that uh, we uh, try to restart too quickly, too aggressively, and then we re-experience the whole thing, that we start having hot spots again, reinfections, and then we have to go through another shutdown that everyone wants to avoid at all costs. So you have this very delicate balancing going on. We need to restart, absolutely have to restart. We've got to get the economy going. Everything we've done to create a bridge only goes so far. Uh, we, we can't continually just print money, uh, layer on debt uh, indefinitely. Uh, and as, as we pointed out, um, as part of the uh, bull case, you know, there are all kinds of parts of the country uh, where people are, are clamoring to go back to work. Uh, they're, they're protesting in Michigan they want to go back to work. Um, so how do you balance that? And I think you're seeing some of the politicians, and this is a highly politicized thing, it just is, um, are trying to lean on testing um, as the uh, sort of magic bullet that will allow us to determine when to go back and who should go back. But that's a matter of science, and it remains to be seen whether we can develop uh, accurate enough tests and develop them quickly enough to use them as an effective tool in making that determination. Uh, so, um, and oh, one other point, even if we uh, get an announcement of a vaccine and the market will explode higher on news that we have a vaccine, it takes anywhere from 12 to 18 months to actually manufacture the vaccine in sufficient quantities to inoculate people. So there's just that. These are just facts that the bears would point out. So they would say, uh, yes, we've probably seen the lows, uh, but at the same time, uh, the type of rally we've seen 
doesn't make any sense. It's just way ahead of itself. So I, I've done hopefully a decent job of trying to condense the bullet points that you're going to hear various talking heads make. So the people who are bullish on the market will give you the first two segments and the people who are bearish on the market will give you the last segment and a half and, and say, you know, here are the points. And the reality is, um, again, nobody knows for sure. Everyone is, uh, um, using their instincts, trying to figure out, given all the data, what does it all mean? So let's try to summarize this for the benefit of everyone listening into how you should be thinking about it. First of all, take all these points for what they are. They're, they're, they're various takes on what is a very uncertain picture. Um, I think you will see a real effort made to restart, um, but I think it's going to be slow and I think it's going to take some time. Um, and People right now are, uh, don't have a lot of patience, as you pointed out, Karen. Whatever uh, enthusiasm sort of like, uh, let's just carry on, has been replaced with the, oh, God, I am so done with this, and I can't wait to get back to my old life. Um, from an investing standpoint, I think a lot depends upon your perspective and time horizon. Uh, as you pointed out, Karen, um, and people are trying to figure out, should I, be, should I essentially um, – have a bunker mentality here, sell everything, buy gold, which is a traditional hedge against catastrophe and against devaluation of currency, et cetera. Um, the problem with that right now is that on the one hand, gold has had a huge rally. So uh, you're already seeing it at high levels. Gold is also sort of a weird asset. It is both a commodity, so it's used in commercial um, things, jewelry as an example, uh, it has a global audience. Its supply can expand or contract depending upon what's going on with mining. And right now, the miners would say that we have the same issues in terms of our workforce. So you have a bit of an artificial situation where supply is constrained uh, because the miners are sort of off. At the same time, you have people who are looking at gold as a sort of hedge against some sort of catastrophe. But a lot of that's already in the price. Can't mean it can't, it can't go higher, but it's already had a huge run here. So there's just, that's just a fact. Um, I would say in terms of people thinking about just the stocks in their 401k or whether they should be a buyer or seller of equities, you have to think about it in terms of your uh, time perspective. Um, you've had a big, huge markdown of what we thought was a very overvalued market. So to the extent that you go back a couple months ago and markets were hitting again all time highs, we were having a conversation about how, boy, how do you buy stocks when they're already making all time highs every other day? It's very hard. You, you have to have a very optimistic point of view. Um, and now you've seen essentially everything's been discounted. It's a huge sale on corporate America. And if you expand that to the globe, on companies around the world. Uh, now, they're not as cheap as they were at the lows. So to the extent that you thought, boy, you know, I really wanted to get this at the lowest price. Well, that train has left the station, okay? You just have to acknowledge that. We've probably seen the lows absent some sort of unexpected catastrophe. Right now, I would say that almost every professional would say, nah, we're probably not gonna go that low again. Could the market take a step back from here? Yeah, it's had a huge run up. 
Uh, and particularly if you listen to the bears, they would say too, too much too fast. So there could be steps back in the market, particularly as it becomes apparent to people that this is probably gonna take longer than most people expect. And we're still assessing the damage, even the damage we've incurred to date to the uh, global economy. As we said, some companies aren't coming back. Some industries could be altered in certain ways. Um, in other instances, things will come roaring back. So it's gonna be a very mixed picture, a very lumpy picture in terms of how things come back. But if you have a longer term perspective, as I said, sort of channeling Warren Buffett and his long term idea that if you have a chance to buy good quality companies at what you think are good prices, and people would argue that if you have any sort of optimism about the US economy coming back, well then you would think, yeah, I think these are probably decent entry point prices, not the lowest, I miss that, because I was scared witless, like most people. Uh, but uh, I, even now, or perhaps into dips, uh, these will be good entry prices. And if it takes a year, it takes two years to come back, that's fine. I'm happy to own XYZ Corp at 20, because I think it's going to 40 or 50 or wherever it was before, once the economy finally gains its footing. And I have no crystal ball as to when exactly that's going to occur or what its form is going to be. But if you have the confidence that the, uh, flip, the switch can be flipped back on and that the U.S. economy will re-engage and it'll sputter and, and it'll kick a little bit, but it'll catch. And once it catches and the global economy catches, well, we will be back to maybe not exactly where we were, but much closer to where we were. Then you say, I'm happy to hold what I own or be a buyer of perhaps an add to what I own. Uh, and I'm not going to sweat my 401k because I'm not going to need that for another 10 years. Uh, then you sleep better and you realize that there, there isn't necessarily a right answer to the bulls versus the bears. They both make good points. And to varying degrees, they both could be correct on various points. It's a question of the crystal ball of speed and, uh, and timing more than anything else. And right now, that's a question of politics, policy, economics, and science. So it's not something anyone is going to be able to immediately solve because it's a multi-dimensional problem. But I think that the underlying core to what's going on in the markets now is an unabiding faith in the US economy and our ability to essentially restart that engine and while it might not happen immediately, and it, it could uh, uh, happen in forms that we can't even appreciate right now, um, it will happen eventually, and that you have the opportunity to perhaps own equities at prices that uh, may not look so great in three months, but over a longer term, you'll be happy to own. So that was, that was really, really long-winded, but that was, that was it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I just would like to invite everyone to join me next weekend on Saturday at 2 o'clock and on Sunday at 12 o'clock. We will have two more guests. And if you were not able to tune in to any of our shows, please visit ellenbecker.com slash money sense or go on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We hope that you find these very informative and please be sure to share them with your family and group friends. Thank you again, Mike. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye.